You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Welcome, welcome. I want to say welcome to you if you're new to the Vine. I'm Zach, one of the pastors, and we're just so glad that you're here. I want to draw attention to a couple things before we get into our text. Um, man, we want to say thank you so much to the folks that were here yesterday on a Saturday. Yeah, give it up for them. We uh, had uh, a really good crew of people here working on the building and uh, working through just lots of different projects that are always in process, you know, and so Scott Welch right down here, uh, muchas gracias hermano, and uh, he led the charge, and, um, and we had a really good crew of people, and so go out of your way to thank Scott when you see him for his leadership here at the church. In addition, um, we want to celebrate with our uh, sister church, Redeemer City Church, we got the opportunity to plant them about four years ago, and today... Uh, they're probably done now, but at 10 o'clock today, they had their first service in their new building. Yeah, amen. And so we got to contribute to that in a lot of different ways, you know, four years ago through planting, but just recently through finances and uh, the money, the extra money they needed to get into their building and get some of the construction finished. And so they are so excited and we are excited with them just to see the kingdom of God continue to expand through church planting here in Madison. And so that's a really, really big deal. Don't, don't miss out on that. They're going to be a, an amazing blessing to the neighborhood where they are planted there over on the southwest side. So praise God for that. I'm going to have Adriana come up and read our text for this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning that guides us. It's such a gift to know that you are there and you are not silent and you have revealed yourself to us. You don't stand off aloof and uncaring, but you cared enough to communicate with us, your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just help us listen now with ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that I want us to walk away from today is this. Relationships are a really, really big deal. 
relationships. Our relationships are a really big deal. And so we treat them with the utmost seriousness. They, they really are precious. The, the older I get, the more I, I just resonate with the power and the importance of human, the value of human relationships. And the reality is this. We can think about this theologically. God created us for relationship. The Bible says that in the very first pages of Scripture, he created Adam. And after he created Adam, he said all these things were good. Everything that he made was good. But he created Adam, and then the first thing God says is not good. And what does he say that's not good? He says it's not good for man to be alone. Human beings are created by God to be in relationship with one another. One day someone asked Jesus, what's the whole point of the law? What's, what's, if we were to sum up the law of God revealed in the Old Testament, what is it? And he said it simply it's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now what is that? What is that? It's, it's a summary of the law of God that's all about relationships. Love the Lord your God. Vertically be in relationship to God. And love your neighbor as yourself, horizontally. God's all about relationships. Life boils down to relationships. Love God, love others. Now, it's not hard to figure out why this is. We, we continue to think about this theologically. We take it for granted, but... It, it runs deep theologically, biblically, in how we're made. So if you think about the fact that God is a relationship. God is a relationship. Have you ever thought about that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, fully God, relating to one another for all eternity, one God. And then this God that relates to himself in the three persons of the Trinity for all eternity decides to create us. And the Bible says that he creates us in his image. So guess what? If God exists as a relationship, when he creates us in his likeness, in his image, reflecting how he is, it's not a big shocker that we're created for relationship as well, right? That just makes sense. So our healthy relationships make us look like God because he exists as a healthy relationship. So if you want to glorify God, in some sense, if you want to glorify God, if you want to draw attention to how great God is, love one another. Love one another. That just reflects who God is. You feel that? So this is why we say all the time, I find myself saying this all the time, whether it's like coaching a new church planter or talking about city group leadership, any type of leadership development or talking to other pastors, we say it all the time here at The Vine that all healthy ministry is predicated on, is based on, flows from healthy relationships. All healthy ministry flows from healthy relationships. So we take this very seriously. So like in, in our eldership, all of us as elders desire to have really healthy relationships. It's not ever perfect, but we want to fight for really healthy relationships with our, those that, that live in the same house with us, our wife and our kids. We take that very seriously. The Bible says that if you're going to oversee 
God's people as an elder, how can you do that if you're overseeing of, of your, your biological family, your family that lives in the same house with you, if that's all disordered, how can you lead the church family? So we take relationships very, very seriously. The Bible says that. In our elder board, in our meetings together, we take our relationships with one another very, very seriously. It's not that we have to be best friends. It's not that we have to go on vacation together. But we have to have high trust. High trust. And trust is built over the course of time through healthy relationships. So we take any sort of, um, if anybody takes offense, even the slightest little thing, then we deal with that. We don't sweep that, that stuff under the rug. We take our relationships very, very serious. Because relationships... Relational help will flow down from the highest levels of leadership. We believe that. The church is going to look like its leaders. And so we want this church to be relationally healthy. So we have to, as elders, be healthy with one another. We take that very seriously. We take this seriously on our staff. We take this seriously in our city groups. See, if relationships break down in the church, the church is going to break down. All healthy ministry is predicated on healthy relationships. And this goes beyond life of the church. This just goes down to our essence as human beings. See, a healthy life, think about your life. A healthy life in large measure is probably also going to flow from healthy relationships. Or the opposite. Think about the greatest joys in your life. Or think about the greatest heartaches in your life. And I would be willing to bet that at some level, your greatest joys are probably about relationships, right? Maybe it's a, a wedding day. Maybe it's a birth of a child. Maybe it's a parent that just, man, they went out of their way to encourage you. And so you just feel love. Man, your greatest joys are probably connected to relationships. And also your greatest heartaches, are probably connected to relationships. We can all think of that in our own lives. So it's clear that God has created us for relationship, relationship with him, relationships with others. And in our text for today, Jesus is going to help us get a little more specific on how it is that we're going to maintain healthy relationships. Okay? How it is that we're going to have beauty in our relationships. Let's look at verse 21 of Matthew 5. (coughs) Excuse me. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So verse 21, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Now, not killing people physically, that's a good thing, right? Everybody can agree with that. Most people in almost every culture will adhere at some level to the principle that murder is wrong. It's not hard to figure out. So as Christians, divine, we value life from the womb to the tomb, Okay? That's part of what it means to have a biblical worldview. Life is sacred because the image of God is marked on human beings. His likeness. God says, you, ha- you bear my very likeness. 
So this is why God commands us not to murder. But see, Jesus reinforces this, but he wants to take us deeper into it. He wants us to get into the deeper meaning of the law of God. Let me read it again. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, just as a side note, we're going to come back to this. I want you to see something really profound in how Jesus carries himself here. He says, you have heard it said, meaning, like, you guys understand the Old Testament. He's referencing here the Old Testament. You've heard what the Old Testament says. You guys know the Old Testament law. It says don't murder, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus says, but I say to you. Now, this is a very, very, very powerful statement from Jesus. Not just because of what it says about anger. We'll get to that in a second. But here's what he's doing. He's saying, like, you've heard God say in the past, in the Old Testament, through the prophets, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, whatever. But now God is speaking through me. You've heard them say, but now God is speaking through me. Because I'm God. That's what Jesus is doing here. Like, he bears his, in his very words the same authority as God speaking in the Old Testament. Like, in the Old Testament, the prophets always would say, thus saith the Lord. Like, I'm a mouthpiece for God. In some sense, I'm like an Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, Isaiah. I'm a conduit for God's speech to flow through me. But see, notice Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. He just says, I say see that? See how that's different, how weighty that is? He doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I say, because I'm God. Like, who has the authority to, to make a comment like this about the Old Testament and then take you deeper into it? Only God alone can do that. So don't miss that. You've heard it, say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. We're going to see this as a repeated theme as we continue in Matthew 5. But let's consider what Jesus is doing here. Last week, we talked a lot about how Jesus said that our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. you got to do better than the scribes and the Pharisees. And we learned that was a really weighty thing because everybody thought the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys are the religious, religious elites. These guys have it all together. And now Jesus says we got to exceed them. But now in more detail, Jesus is showing what he's talking about. What does he mean? He's showing us here with just the example of anger that it's not just about the external. It's not about this veneer of having it all together. It's about the internal. It's about what's going on on the inside. So the Pharisees, they were good at not murdering people physically, at least until Jesus, right? But how are they doing with anger? How are they doing with anger? How are they doing with a sense of, of superiority that, 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 that looks like name-calling? How, how righteous are the scribes and the Pharisees then? And it's good for us to ask, how are we doing with that right now? You've heard it said, 
You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and, it, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what is Jesus doing here? He's saying that murder is not just physical. Murder can be verbal. Murder can be verbal. We have to be so careful with the words that we use. See, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you really want to know what's in someone's heart, listen to their words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what Jesus says here is, is if you have insults, like you fool If we have those insults coming out of our mouths, what he's saying is we have murder lurking in our hearts. Not that we're going to actually physically kill someone, but it's the same impulse, Jesus says. Murder isn't just physical. We can destroy people, he says, with our words. Now, don't we all have room to grow here? Don't we all have room to grow here? Room for repentance here. These these are heavy words from Jesus, right? Like there's there's a connection between my eternal state and the words that I use to describe people. That's what what he says here, right? But wait a second. I mean, isn't it just so often we just throw insults around. It's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, these people are driving me Nuts. I mean, aren't there actual idiots in the world, right? Well, like we can respond to Jesus that way if we want, but I think we need to pay closer attention to the words that he actually uses here in the text. I think that one of the biggest deals that Jesus wants us to see is found in the text where it says the word brother. You see that there? Verse 22, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister Verse 22, whoever insults his brother or sister, we liable to the council. See that there? See, what Jesus has in mind here is showing contempt in the way that we speak to someone who's a member of the family of God. A brother or sister in the family of God. Like, why would that be so serious? Well, I think it's so serious because God takes the, his people, the family of God, the church, really, really seriously. Jesus says that he laid down his life for the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is a metaphor for the people of God in the church. Jesus took it so seriously that he laid down his life to save the bride, to save the church, to make the church a reality in beauty. So think of what's at stake if our relationships break down. And how often do our relationships break down? Through our words. What's at stake if our relationships break down? The church itself is at stake. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. One little disagreement leads to gossip. And gossip leads to factions. And factions leads to more and more tension. And eventually that just blows up. And you have a church that splits. And then the church that splits eventually just goes away. I mean, tragically, it happens all the time. See, the unity of God's people is at stake. Insulting a brother or sister. So that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 
Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort. He's saying be aggressive about making peace. Be aggressive. Every effort to maintain unity, right? Because this is the church. This is the church. We're not just in some social club to screw around because we've got nothing better to do on Sunday morning. No, this is the mission of God in the world today. See, if our relationships erode away, oftentimes through the words we use, the church will erode away. See, the church is only as strong as our relationship to God and to others. So I think Jesus takes our words towards others so seriously because if we go around insulting others in the family of God, think about it like this. It's also a reflection of like a smug superiority that just reeks of hypocrisy. In Jesus, we see this over and over again in the Gospels. You'll see him do this in, in chapter 23. We'll get there in a few months. Chapter 23, you'll see him just go after the Pharisees. Why? Because of hypocrisy. He just lights them up with some of the most intense language that you'll see in the Bible. Because of hypocrisy. It's one of the things that Jesus just hates. We see it over and over again in the, uh, in, in the Gospels. So we do the same thing. It's like this. If we insult one another, call one another stupid, call someone an idiot or whatever, what is that? It's just a way of placing ourselves over them like we don't act stupid sometimes, like we don't act like idiots sometimes. See, it's really, if you boil it down, just pride versus humility. And see, when you're seated at the foot of the cross and you're linked arms with brothers and sisters in the church and you look up to the cross and you see what God has done there, you're like, oh, my word, Lord, thank you so much for saving me from my sin, for bleeding, for bearing the punishment that I deserve. And I'm linked here with brothers and sisters and then I turn and I call this one an idiot. Like, that's a massive disconnect, right? Because Jesus is dying for my sin and I'm turning and calling my brother or sister an idiot. Like something's not right there, right? So there's a disconnect there, right, if that's how we operate. And that's what Jesus wants us to see this morning. See, it's indicative of pride. It's indicative that we don't get it, right? There's no pride that can exist at the foot of the cross because, because that just strips away any sense of self-sufficiency, that I can do it. The cross just screams, you can't do it, but I can, Jesus says. And so if I sit at the foot of the cross with pride that enables me to insult my brother and sister, man, I just don't get it. I don't get it. But we need to be honest, right? For so many of us, and I'm first in line, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. It has those words just flippantly. And it's, well, look at this idiot. Right? And there's people in our lives that get us really fired up, genuinely. We, we can be honest about that. And the insults are just right there on the tip of our tongue. It's so easily accessible, just based on how these people act. And we look at them like, how can these people be so stupid, right? But we have to be so, so careful. That's what Jesus wants us to see this morning. We have to be so, so careful. We have to remember, first of all, that this is a person created in the image of God. No matter how off base, it's a person made in the image of God. So that alone 
should cause fear and trembling before we start chucking insults out, right? This person is stamped with the very likeness of God. You can't find anything else that looks as close to how God is than human beings. That's what he said. And so that fact alone should just cause us to, to just pause before we start launching insults. Insulting another human being is like insulting God himself because we're stamped with the image of God. You don't want to trample on the God of the universe. And, and he says that if you insult one another, it's kind of like that. You, you've lost sight of the fact that these are image bearers. Precious. Sacred. Second, we need to keep in mind, again, just going back to the hypocrisy thing, that so often the way that we want to look down on others for their behavior and insult them, and we do the exact same things, right? We do the exact same things. And if we're just honest with ourselves, we'll see it. So this is just a call for humility, for repentance, not increased indignation that lashes out with insults. And then third, just culturally, sociologically, I think we really need to recognize the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in, kind of the air that we breathe, especially through media, is one where anger can be one of good, inter- good entertainment, right? If someone pitches a fit, especially on social media, you can get everybody to turn and look. And if everybody comes and looks at your Twitter page or your Facebook page or whatever, people get paid, right? So we incentivize bad behavior through just this culture that we have that sprung up through the internet. Or just like TV, right? Talking heads, yelling at each other, insulting each other. Man, that gets ratings. That gets ratings. And when you get ratings, the TV company gets paid, right? This is our culture, Twitter wars, political strife, always in the news. This Republican said this about this Democrat, vice versa. They hate each other, insult each other. Check out what's on the front page. And that's just the cultural air we breathe, right? And, and Jesus wants us to read Matthew 5 and go, man, that's not the church. That's not God's people. Man, we should be known for being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. James 1.17. This is why Jesus speaks so seriously about this in Matthew 5. Because, man, there's just no life in in that kind of bickering and bantering and insulting. That's just, it leads to death. It leads to death. And the church should be the place of life where we use our words to build up. Where we use our words to practice the one another's of the New Testament where we speak life and encouragement and joy and we pray for each other. We say how much we love one another, right? This is why Jesus speaks so seriously about this. There's a lot at stake. Now, hear me. This doesn't mean that we can't offer a critique. Like, there's a time and a place, of course, to say that something is wrong and to critique someone's sinful behavior. That's a different deal. The question, though, is this. How do we go about it? Do we go about it from a posture of of superiority? Or do we go about it from a posture of repentance and humility and, hey, I love you, and my tone of voice reflects that? Right? You with me? Okay. So let's keep reading and see how seriously Jesus continues to take this. Look at verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar... 
And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly. So I want you to see this. He says, go. He doesn't say wait around. He says, leave it and go. And then he says here, do it quickly. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So the point is this. What Jesus is saying is if there's conflict in your life, that's arisen through your anger, right? See that there? Look at verse 23. If you're offering a gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, meaning in your anger, you offended that brother or sister, okay? So if there's conflict in your life and, it's, and you're the reason, we can all relate to this. He says, deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. If you've got conflict in your heart, Deal with it. It's so dangerous for there to be the cancer of bitterness to be lingering in your heart towards others. And and just as much, it's dangerous for the other person to have bitterness in their heart towards you because of something that you've done. Right? The context here, if you've wronged someone, go to them. Go to them. Don't wait. Don't let that cancer of bitterness or dysfunction relationally just grow and grow and grow. Eventually, it will kill. A lot of times cancer can just live in your system undetected for a long time. This is what happened to my dad. Fully functional, no symptoms, four years. But then there comes a day when it will come to fruition. So don't let that, 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 that cancer of bitterness just linger in there. There will come a day where it will come out and it will be deadly. So what does Jesus say here? He says this is so important that it might be more important than your church attendance. Did you catch that? So the context here is Old Testament sacrifices. He's saying, if you're an Old Testament person, which is who he was speaking to, and you're bringing your sacrifice to remind you of the forgiveness of sin that you need, he's saying, leave it. Don't do that first. Go be reconciled to your brother and sister. This, This church activity, this regular Sunday morning thing that we do, is not nearly as important as you being reconciled. So maybe you need to leave church and go make it right with that brother. Or maybe you don't even need to show up and book an appointment with that brother and sister on Sunday morning. See, why would this be? Why would this be? Why would Jesus say this? I think it boils down to, again, this hypocrisy that he wants to to root out of our hearts. This Pharisee-like hypocrisy that Jesus hates. It's at stake here. So here's, here's the picture. Pharisees show up to church, and they're in the front row. And all their kids are perfectly behaved. Hands raised. I love you, God. I love you. I need you. I worship you. There's nothing I adore you. Uh, there's nothing more that I adore than you, God. But then you have hatred in your heart that no one can see. See the external versus the internal? Jesus wants those to be consistent, not this massive gulf of difference between the external and the internal. What does God's word say about this? It says 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, if anybody shows up to church and sings with all their might, God, I love you, 
And yet at the same time, look at what the text says, and hates his brother or sister. The I love God thing, it's a lie. See what it says? He's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. I'm sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is why resolving anger in your heart as much as possible might be more of a priority than church attendance. Because God looks at, looks at the heart. He wants us to be consistent. He, he wants us to repent of our hypocrisy. Battle it. Jesus doesn't want just your outward appearance. He wants a true heart that is given to him. I'll never forget when I was first getting started in ministry uh, as a music pastor. There was a woman on the music team. And she was a great singer. She was very, um, she was very, very exuberant on a Sunday morning. Right? Sang with all her might. From the external, you would think, man, this woman has got it together just by how she carries herself, right? Well, a couple months later, we found out that she was having an affair. And the outside from the front seemed so spiritual, so all together. But she was cheating on her husband. See, she should, what Jesus is saying here is leave the worship team and go be reconciled to your husband. Leave your gift of music at the altar. Go deal with your marital issues. It's more important. That's more important than uh, this show of having it all together on a Sunday morning. See, it's the outward appearance of true spirituality, but the Lord looks to the heart. The Lord takes joy in our hearts. That's the whole point this morning. Righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees is going to look like an inward life. It's going to look to the inward life before it looks to the outward life. So let's, let's take this text seriously this morning. As God's people, he loves us. He speaks to us because he loves us. He wants us to hear his word because he loves us. He wants us to flourish without the cancer of bitterness. And so he's just saying, deal with it. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. So Romans 12, 18 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as far as it depends on you, is there someone in your life this morning that you need to go to? Is there any sort of anger that someone might have towards you that maybe you've been the, the cause of that you need to go and talk to them about? Maybe it's practice repentance. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, a, a roommate. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor. Son or daughter, mother, father. Where is that place? Jesus says it's possible to live in freedom. It's possible to live in freedom. But here's how he wants us to do it. If there's, and, and here's the deal. The, the Bible says, if possible. So sometimes it's not possible, but at least giving it an effort. Sometimes you get the door shut in your face, and you can't control that. But as, if, if possible, as much as you can control, we can go for it and then leave the results up to the Lord. So let me sum up this morning. Here's what Jesus is saying. Anger unchecked that spills over into prideful insults can indicate a heart that's in grave spiritual danger. And Jesus just wants to call us to take this very seriously. 
And there's, there's, there's room for hypocrisy here to destroy the church. If there's, if there's anger in our hearts that's led to conflict, what does Ephesians 4 says? Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's just another way of saying, deal with it. Deal with it as quickly as you can. But let me close with this. Let's let the truth of the gospel empower us, compel us this morning to live this way. See, the reality is this. God has never wronged us once like we wrong one another. God has never wronged us once. But yet, there's a spirit of pursuit in this text, right? Go to them quickly. Jesus pursued us in the exact same way. To make to make right a relationship that was wrong. Right? You see that? Jesus pursued us, even though he never sinned against us, he pursued us at great cost to himself out of love to make the relationship right. That's the message of the gospel. You feel that? So this is a God-like love. A pursuing love that does all that it can to bring peace between two parties. So let's, let's let that vision of love and pursuit and making peace make us a church that rejects hypocrisy and seeks to live in this light, the light of Jesus. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how it promises to help us. Lord, I pray you give us eyes of faith to see and believe this morning your word and to give thanks and to live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.